0: This episode of Cheat Codes a sickle cell podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. This episode of Cheat Codes was supported by Global Blood Therapeutics.
1: What's up warriors? It's me Dr. Z and me Dr. C. So, I'm 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 happy today because you know, in sickle cell disease, sometimes you get lonely, you know, it's it's, it's, a, it's kind of a lonely sport. You know, there's not too many allies, friends that play the same sport as us, but I'm, I'm happy that today we've got our neighbors. We've got neighbors in all directions, but these neighbors are a little bit special. Yeah, they're a little bit too at the South, and they're, they're neighbors at the Indiana Hemophilia and Thrombosis Center. And you might say, what? well, we're not talking about hemophilia or thrombosis. Well, let me tell you something. Sickle cell disease has a real footprint at IHTC, and, and and one of the reasons it has a real footprint is because they've got a dynamo of a sickle cell doctor at IHTC, someone you know well. Right, Dr. Callahan?
2: Yeah, we, we, we go way back. We go back to uh, Ash Clinical Research Training Institute many, many years ago. I won't even say how many.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: So, Dr. Emily Meyer, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to Cheat Codes, a Sickle Cell Podcast.
3: Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: It's great to have you on. I, I was talking to Emily at a meeting a week or two ago, and she was telling me about this wonderful jobs program that they have in Indiana. And uh, I said, you know, people need to hear about this. And she said, well, how about Cheat Codes? And that's perfect. So we're so excited to have you all on but uh i i want to do a little intro of dr meyer because she is not from michigan but we we call her one of our own because she was a a michigan state spartan and uh, has been in hemophilia for for quite some time at uh, children's national in dc for for a long time and did a lot of research on fetal hemoglobin and f-cells and um, markers of uh, prognosis and sickle cell disease and and now has been Really leading the sickle cell team in, in Indianapolis for uh, about five years now.
3: Yeah, five and a half. Yep, and and I've I've been active in sickle cell. You said hemophilia, but I have been. I I'm uh, a little active in hemophilia, but mostly sickle cell. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: meant I meant sickle cell for sure.
3: Yeah, I know. IHTC
2: <laughs> threw me off. So, and we have some other special guests with you today.
3: Yes, um, I would love for them to introduce themselves if if that's okay.
2: Absolutely.
4: Well, I'm Keisha Hampton, and I've been uh, I've been an ally for all my career, um, an ally to Sickle Soul Warriors. I'm um, the program coordinator at IHTC, so I do a little education, make sure the newborns are, you know, have what they need in regards to education and things like that. Travel all over Indiana, so I'm I guess a semi truck driver in a sense, just not in a semi, but uh, <laughs> I, I really enjoy what I do and. <laughs> And I always said in my afterlife, maybe I will be a semi driver. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love what I do, and uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely happy to be here. This is nice. It's
1: great to have you.
5: Hi, so my name is Latisha. You can call me Tisha. I am also um, a Sickle Safe Program Coordinator. I work primarily in Lake County, Indiana, which is the Gary, Meriville area. I'm also um, the Community Health Program. Uh, community health worker for our SCORE program, which covers um, sickle cell patients from three until 21 years of age. So I provide some of the same services Keisha um, provides for the family zero to 21, including safe, um, but also doing community events for the area and just getting more awareness around the Lake County area with the providers and just families about the services we offer now to the area.
0: And um, hello everyone. My name is Robin Sally and I'm the career counselor and I serve ages 21 and up as far as career counseling goes. And as far as my knowledge, I am the only uh, career counselor in the whole country that serves the single cell population. So IHCC has that distinction of having the only career counselor that serves that population. So I'm very happy to be there. I've been working here for less than a year and I really love working with this population, uh, but just like any other population, they had the same needs, but because of that chronic illness, you know, they have some things that may hinder them as far as employment um, and just, they just need assistance with that. And that's why I'm here.
2: That's fantastic. So hopefully, hopefully by the end of this, we'll have people uh, thinking about ways to make you less lonely as the, the sole <laughs> job counselor for sickle cell. And I, you know, I, I didn't think about it, but IHTC really has a whole state of Indiana presence. So you go from, from Gary up on the border of, of Illinois, all the way down to the, uh, south of the state, really cover all, all of the state.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We have the, we have the newborn screening follow-up grant for the state of Indiana for the babies born with sickle cell. So that kind of starts. Families' relationships with us. And then thankfully through state funding, we now can cover the lifespan. Um, and we cover, we, we offer these programs to anyone who lives in Indiana. So yeah, we're, we're real excited to help people all throughout the state.
1: Amazing. Amazing. I can't help, but feel a little bit jealous of, uh, seeing you surrounded by what looks like a team of sort of Avengers here that you've assembled for sickle cell disease. And, um, <laughs> You know, I, I'm overcome with envy, but I'm so happy for you. Yeah, we, feel, in like um, I, I mean, we no, feel like Avengers. I mean, it's no... We feel like Avengers sometime. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, it's an accomplishment to be able to build something like you've built that is capable of impacting as many people as it does. The amazing part is, though, that... You guys still have the ability to impact more people than you already are, right? It's not like mm-hmm. you're it's not like you're at full capacity here. It's like you're looking for people who want to be helped, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about how sickle cell works at IHTC. What does it look like to be a warrior at IHTC?
3: well I'm the first people that the first people that our patients meet are Keisha or Tisha or um Ellen, and we have a new program coordinator joining us next week and And they're kind of the face of sickle cell um for the for all the babies in indiana and and they provide in home education, so we do home visits for all children who are born with hemoglobinopathies in Indiana. Um, and so Tisha and Keisha, before COVID, um, would go to the family's homes to do that education um, through the state program. We're able to provide the first three months of prophylactic penicillin, so the antibiotics that babies need to take to prevent infection. And then, um, based on where the family lives and their preferences, then Keisha and Tisha help to get them connected to care. And then they do regular fo- phone follow ups and home visits with them, including preschool visits, so we can educate the preschool teachers. Um, and then once kids age out of the newborn screening program, then they go into the SCORE program, which is our sickle cell outreach um, and education program. And that primarily is focused outside of Indianapolis. So Tisha does a great job. She has connected about 50 children to care in, in Lake County in Gary, which is a horribly underserved part of Indiana. Keisha um, goes to Evansville um, to take care of the kids down there and make sure they're connected to care and then in gary not only do we see kids and adolescents, but we also see adults and so then robin comes in and makes sure that the adults um are getting jobs that are fit for people with sickle cell disease you know a lot of times people with sickle cell as everyone knows have lots of physical challenges and so a manual labor like you know big time heavy lifting job is not going to be the best fit for them and robin really helps to make sure that they they find jobs and and help identify opportunities that is that are better suited for for folks who have some of the chronic issues that adults with sickle cell have
2: that that sounds like such an incredibly challenging thing to do um i know i i deal with a lot of our young adults here and they're getting into their work life and a a lot of times the stress of work or being on their feet all day um, create challenges, or they have complications of sickle cell disease, and then you know that work results in work absences and and um, problems holding on to a job, and and so I I can only imagine dealing with a broader population and really trying to find jobs that fit, and I'm I'm excited to hear about how to do that. So how how did you get started in this, and and what what kind of jobs do you look for, and how do you, how do you find partners to Get people employment, and um, how do you gauge people's job interests and skills and match them up? What do you do in finding people jobs?
0: So basically, I just take just a varied approach to people as far as what is their background. Um, I do an intake appointment where I ask them, you know, where did you go to school? Uh, what is your highest level of education? Just really getting a you know an idea of what the person who they are, what their interests are and we go from there i talk to them about what it is they want to do for the rest of their life what is your dream job so i really like to deep um, look at them very deeply and get them to be very reflective and answer those hard questions about what are my interests what are my likes my dislikes you know what am i good at so um, i really do have a really deep conversation with them just to um, understand that and you know, my background is I come from a higher education background, so I worked at numerous colleges and universities across the state of Indiana. So, um, with that higher education background, and also I had to have a social service background, I can really meet them where they are. So, some of the other things that I can help them with would be um, I help them with their resumes and cover letters. If they have never um, had one, which many of them have not, I will help them create it. Even updating. They have an update. I have to dust it off after 10, 20 years and help them with that. And just also with the career exploration. If they are unsure about what they want to do, then I can register career assessments to Strong and Myers Briggs. I help them practice interviews. So for some people, I help them with numerous practice interviews and help them to become comfortable in front of an employer. I help them with job searches and just with. College planning. So, some people, they may be right out of high school um, or been out of high school for several years and help them to find out what that may be, whether it's community college, a four year institution, or even going to a trade school. Everyone is very different. I direct them to training programs. And if they are in college, pointing them to um, internships. Help them to understand the importance of an internship, having at least one or two before they graduate from college. Also, addressing their life skills. And also like we, as we already mentioned, if you have like a chronic condition like sickle cell, uh, what do you need if you are employed? What kind of accommodations do you need? Do you need me to help explain to your employer what your needs are or explain uh, the diagnosis of sickle cell? Help them understand that you need bathroom breaks, water breaks, you may need to sit down. You cannot go out if you're um, working at Walmart and you have to retrieve a cart, Um, It may not be good for you to be outside in the winter and it's, you know, 20 degrees. So just helping them to understand um, how to talk to their employer and, you know, really address what they need based on their condition. So I help them with all these things and more, including personal resources, like if they need assistance with housing or, you know, just anything. And at work, and one of the things I really enjoy about working at IHTC is that they take a multidisciplinary approach to healthcare. So I have a team of social workers and therapists and doctors and physical therapists and others to help me serve that patient best. So I really enjoy that approach. I've never worked anywhere like that where we work together as a team to help that patient. I yeah. love
1: it. That's amazing. You know, I, you've described you cover so much in, in what you're able to provide for these patients. And obviously, there's so many biopsychosocial considerations in every sickle cell patient's lives. One of the things that really brings it home for me is success stories. I'd love to hear a success story that you're really proud of. Um, I'd love for you to share that with our audience. And, and I'd love mm-hmm. to love to get inspired by, by hearing a little bit about it from you guys
4: i was gonna say i have one um because i i've i've worked with a lot of the um
1: the sickle soul warriors
4: in india indiana and i've known a lot of them since they were um six years old um particularly one young lady i remember back in the day i went to like a camp you know i volunteered for camp as educator and uh you know she was small and she would just be you know pushing 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 and moving 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 and You know, she just, you know, always, despite, you know, having the pain, having the issues, she just kept pushing forward. Today, she's maybe 32, and she went to Kentucky State. Uh, She's a nurse. She spends, you know, less time in the hospital, more time out and enjoying life and working. And she also volunteers for a lot of the different events that I hold, you know, around the state. So for her, and then one more, um, (laughs) this is my guy, too. He's a... He's, this guy's like, I mean, he's, he's probably like seven foot tall <laughs> and I've known him, he's probably about 32 um, and he just got a promotion um, at a banking center, you know, as like a manager promotion and he helps his mom to take care of his brothers. And so those, it, it just, it sends chills up your spine to know that, you know, it can happen. And as long as you kind of, you know, just show them the way you know, and help them throughout the way and help them figure out, well, if, if, is this the career for you? Um, is this what you want to do? If you can do it, you know, knowing their limits, it just sends chills up your spine and know that that's success, you know?
2: It does. That's the best part of our job when, when our patients do well and you feel like maybe I was a small part of that.
3: Robin, I'd love to hear your
0: story. Yeah, Robin. Yeah. I have a, I have a couple of them. It's just so hard to know, but it's, it was one young lady I helped and you know, I always ask, please show me your resume because a lot of people, they don't know what they don't know and they think they have what's called a resume, but it really isn't a resume. And um, she sent it to me and it just was like a paragraph of just what she wanted to be. She wanted to be some type of care coordinator at a hospital and it didn't have any of her background history or anything. And I said, okay, tell me what you've done. Give me your work history. and just to help better them to market themselves where they can it's not like they lack the the skills or the education they just don't know how to market themselves and so i fixed her resume and she submitted it to iu health and she got a job working and in the in the field that she wanted doing what she wants to do making the money that she wants to make and she was stuck in a dead-end job and she couldn't understand why she couldn't progress is because her her resume was lousy so you know just helping to point out those things to to people and yeah and one of the other things i like is that you know i serve the entire state and i go to our outreach clinics so i go to the lake county outreach clinic and i've seen especially like although my population is age 21 i will see um high school students uh, older teens and help them as well so i've run into two teenagers that are seniors in college at the outreach clinic who they say they want to go to college and you know i'm talking about like recently and uh like last month and one young lady had not applied to school at all and she said she wants to be in school in august she hadn't done her fast but she hasn't even taken the sat so you know just helping her get hey we have a to-do list here to do we need to hurry up (laughs) you know especially if you know you want to be in school in the fall let's probably think about some community college here or something so so i'm working with her and her mother to help her get on the right path but one young lady was in the same situation and she already she took my suggestions and she's rocking and rolling and she you know um, applied for some really great scholarships at iu bloomington and i'm just really impressed that she took those suggestions and she just ran with them immediately so it's just helping people you oh. know find their direction and just give them that assistance they need
2: that's huge because i i remember being that young guy and and not knowing what to put on your resume or do i wear a suit to this interview i don't know if i even have a suit do i write thank you letters afterwards how does this all work and then there's stuff you don't know you don't know and you know some of us are blessed with a, a crew of mentors around us who can help us with that, but not everyone is. And so you know, sort of fill in the gaps where where people don't know what they don't know or what they need to to get to that next rung on the ladder. The interesting
1: one of the interesting parts of this to me is, you know, of course we have people who are not able to achieve what they want to achieve because their disease has taken a toll, right, on them. But the the other side of that that we don't talk about often is that sometimes the things we're talking about being able to find a job being able to get an education being able to fill out a resume understand the the working environment contribute to worse disease as well right so that stress also does the opposite and and i'm, I'm curious i'm curious to get your take on this emily uh dr meyer for the individuals who are successfully taking part in this program do you see that there's some maybe clinical benefit even in their lives do they end up having you know better clinical outcomes that would be a really interesting thing to look at
3: mm-hmm. That's a that's a good idea actually so so we we started this program it's been almost a year that Robin joined us um and and as you said we are actively looking for adults especially in the outlying areas and so I think but I think that's a great idea Is that something we should track and and part of the grant we have to you know do emergency department education and those types of things so we will be tracking some of that stuff but i think that's that's an excellent point i have definitely seen it um in lake county with tisha's work where we when we first started i think we had 7 or 8 kids scheduled and 5 or 6 of them showed up and now tomorrow we're actually heading to gary and we have about 20 kids on the schedule that the physician assistant, Sarah, and I will be seeing. And, and one thing I notice is, is that the families, whenever we get a call like overnight or on the weekend from a family in Lake County, I know that we have made an impact because those families now look at us as a trusted healthcare provider. And they know that when they call us, we're gonna help them. And and it took a while for us to, to get those calls. Sometimes we'd get calls from the emergency room after the children had already presented, um, but but now the families know that if they call us beforehand, we call the ERs, because there's a whole bunch of ERs up there, and we let them know this is what the child needs, and we help advocate for their children. And so, so I've certainly seen benefits on the pediatric side, and I'm hoping, you know, that program's been in place for about three and a half years, So I'm hoping over the next couple of years, we're really going to start to see the same come for same successes for adults.
2: I'm curious, you brought up uh, Robin about accommodations Um, and, you know, maybe you can't stand all day so can work accommodate that or you can't run out to get a cart in the cold weather, you know, for our warriors out here who are navigating that. When do you do that? I mean, you don't have to say I have sickle cell at your interview, obviously, but when do you want to have that conversation with with your employer? What does that look like? Should that be like a, a written thing? Do you involve your care team in that? In that, how how do you how do you sort of navigate accommodations around these jobs?
0: It really just depends on the patient. Sometimes they don't want their you know um, diagnosis um, discussed with their employer because. Although they know that they don't need to be outside in that cold weather, they still may want to work at that distribution center or that job because they feel like, and I had this happen with one patient where he says, I'm making a lot of money, I'm making $12, $13 an hour at this distribution center and is with my educational background, I know that that's probably the highest I can make. So sometimes they don't want to discuss that, but you know, I try to explain to them you know, but let's try to find something where you can make that amount of money and you'll be indoors or you'll have be able to sit down so it really just depends but i think they should also have that conversation with their care team but you know it's for us to all sit down again as i said with that multidisciplinary team for us to work together and find out the best solution because i will you know talk to some doctors and you know i will ask the doctor can you write a, uh, a letter To this person's employer, and you know they've done that. Again, it just varies on what that particular patient may want. But it really just depends because sometimes they don't want to discuss. Sometimes, if it if the if it becomes a really big problem, you know where they're having a lot of crises due to being in those adverse uh, conditions, then it's time for us to have a conversation probably with your employer, or you can talk with me. Like, hey, have you thought about? Have you considered some other jobs? Let's see what you may be interested in.
1: I mean this is this uh, my mind is just blown by by the amount of things that you guys are doing for for patients. Um, with this team that you have, uh, obviously you uh, you guys are accomplishing really at every end of the spectrum, you're accomplishing things for patients that are are just so necessary and so ignored everywhere. Tell me a little bit about the support you get from your your administration. Tell us a little bit about how your hospital. Um, helps you or enables you to, to do more for sickle cell patients? And, and, and if that was a challenge, tell us a little bit about how you changed minds or how you changed hearts. I'm, I'm sure physicians who may be listening to this would be interested to know how that looked at, at your hospital.
3: So our center was established in 1998 um, by doctors Amy Shapiro and Anne Grice. Dr. Shapiro is a pediatric hematologist. Dr. Grice is an adult hematologist and it it was founded you know it's called the hemophilia and thrombosis center but they the the center has always provided care for people with sickle cell disease dr greist is a big advocate um our our center takes teams to Kenya twice a year to treat people not only with hemophilia, but also with sickle cell disease. So, since I've been here for five and a half years, sickle cell has always been part of the equation, even if it's not part of our name. Um, and so, they have always supported us. You know, most of the program is funded through the Department of Health, but not completely, especially with COVID, with budget cuts, and things like that. And, and IHTC has, has supported us and we've never, you know, I've never felt unsupported at IHTC as, as the sickle cell doctor in a hemophilia treatment center. Um, I was always wondering, like, why I have, like, like Dr. Callahan said, I have spent my life, my career thinking about sickle cell, researching sickle cell. And when I was asked to join IHTC, I'm like, why do they need a sickle cell doctor at a hemophilia treatment center? And after I got here, I was like oh this is why because they take care of a lot of people with sickle cell and so and and there's great opportunities within indiana to get this broad scope funding to really build these programs so so i feel like i'm in a unique position um I, i think we all are i don't want to use the word i i we all are in a unique position to have that support from ihtc which is great
5: I would just like to add to, from the standpoint, even beyond the medical care, the social support, like we have Camp Silvermoon, which is a camp that the children 7 to 17 get to attend. That camp provides a lot of opportunity for children who, ne- who wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to go to a week-long camp and get to play and meet other children across the state with sickle cell disease. And then get to see um, their doctors and their staff from around from around the from the state in a different setting outside of the clinic. So I think that that's so important. And
4: Let um, Letitia forgot to mention that she's the the Silver Moon Camp director too. She's um she's done a wonderful job in the years, and it's it's another it's added job, you know, when you. have have to do do camp and do other activities, but um, she's done a great job because before there was only one camp that Riley had. And that's when I went to like back in the day, I don't want to tell my age, um, but uh, she's, she's done a great job. Um, we're actually looking forward to this year because we're able to do an in person camp. It's, it, it's fun. It's, it's definitely um, nice to have that.
2: Campus is so important. Um, we talked to a lot of warriors on the podcast and um, they talk about, you know, formative events at camp and how they became part of the community and got involved in advocacy and made friends, um, like lifelong friends, um, at camp. Do you guys try to leverage that for, for part of this career counseling and education planning? Is that part of camp or I, I know our, our sickle cell camp up here, they won't let us do any education. It's a Paul Newman camp and, and they're like, this is just for fun. Our hemophilia camp is all disease education and things like that. I think there's not a right answer there, but
5: yeah. So we try to find a balance. Um, in the past, they we've done activities every day of camp or tried to, but you know the kids are coming and they want to have fun and, and play with their friends and try different activities. So we've limited to um, one to two kind of educational. Um, Sickle cell specific areas like Robin plans to do a vision board with the teens that that are coming to camp and then the younger kids are going to do a poster where they kind of explain, you know, what sickle cell means to them and how how they see themselves in life um, just to give them a different opportunity to express themselves. But really, you know, we want to limit it a little bit just so that they have enough time to run around and play, but then also you know, get to escape a little bit from a sense from having to deal with that, you know, deal with sickle cell on a daily basis. And it, camp can be kind of, it can be a long day. So typically during the rest period, they need to rest. They need to rest. And, and we
3: try to build in some of that education, like make sure they have water bottles. We have water at the stations where they go for their different activities. And so, you know, there are staff around to say, hey, remember your water bottle, you don't want to get dehydrated. You know, like when they get out of the swimming hole or swimming pool, you know make sure you dry off real quickly so you don't get cold you know like that kind of stuff to try to reinforce some of the education that we do in the clinic but yeah we we tried to to do an education session every day the first first camp and everyone was exhausted because no one got their rest time <laughs> too much <laughs> so we we've learned yeah
1: that's just I, I mean that's that's amazing it's amazing i mean hats off to you guys um there's not there's not enough words that i can say to convey how um, impressed i am uh, at what you guys are doing for warriors thank you for fighting the good fight and you know we really look forward to seeing how this work amplifies and what else comes out of ihtc you guys are trailblazers um, and that's and that's something that we're, we're thankful for um tell us a little bit about warriors who may be listening to this in indiana um if they want to hear more about this, reach out to you guys. How do they do that?
4: Well, I was gonna, um, you know, we do have our um, uh, www.ihtc.org website, um, but we, you know, we have a sickle safe email that we use and we constantly have people that'll call us and ask us about different things. We we keep in contact with a lot of patients because they come to our um, sickle cell events, like our sickle celebration event, which is a fun event that we have in September. So we, um, you know, there's there's lots of different ways and then I'll let um, some of the other ladies uh, chime in.
5: Yeah, every, so each program, um, zero to three is safe, three to 21 is our score program and then 21 end up is the cascade program. Each program has an email address that if someone wants to reach out, they can um, reach out that way. Um, and like Keisha mentioned, they have um, the website as well where they can go and get information Um, If they're in specific regions, like if they're in Lake County, they can reach out to myself or the adult community health worker um, if they need to speak with someone over the phone versus sending an email.
2: You you mentioned um, education planning and trying to get people into specific programs like vocational programs. Are there sickle cell specific um, scholarship programs or job training programs uh, available In Indiana or or nationwide that that our warriors should know about?
0: There are general um, sickle cell specific scholarships, and we do inform our patients of those. So they're not Indiana specific, but just um, nationwide clearinghouse of of scholarships. And so we do inform our patients of those specific um, scholarships for hemophilia specific or sickle cell specific.
4: Uh, one particular scholarship is um I, we actually just helped one of our students who another that's going to Kentucky state she uh, it's with the every life Foundation they actually give a scholarship and there used to be like a Kermit Nash scholarship that um Kermit Nash was a, a pioneer in sickle cell um you know rest his soul now but um he did he did great work wonderful guy very funny too <laughs> but um there's so we we have a, I developed a resource sheet that I give to the children that are in our PATH program, which is a transition program. So that sheet we give to them and they can find, it has a list of all the, it, um, any scholarships that they can get if they're in Indiana, uh, programs that they can sign up for, say when they're in middle school to get scholarships, like the 21st century scholarship. And also um, we have a list on there of all the um, different scholarships that are offered specifically for people with sickle cell.
1: Beautiful. Well, again, I am so proud of what you guys are doing, and um, I'm a little bit jealous, too. But uh, thank you for raising the bar in how we care for sickle cell patients. It's something that I think all of us can strive to try to accomplish and do better for our our patients. It's amazing to have had a chance to talk to some like-minded individuals like you all. Warriors in Indiana... I mean, you just heard it. This is um, this is a group of people you need to know about. Um, So so reach out to this team. Go find your Avengers and uh, help them help you.
0: You're listening to Cheat Codes,
3: a sickle cell podcast with Dr. Amar Zaidi and Mike Callahan. Doctors Mike and Amar will be right back after this quick break.
2: Cheat Codes is brought to you today by Global Blood Therapeutics. GBT is a biopharmaceutical company committed to discovering, developing, and delivering life changing treatments that provide hope to underserved patient communities, including sickle cell disease. GBT is grounded by a mission driven culture and built with a team of experienced and passionate people committed to making a difference in the communities it serves. Cheat Codes is grateful to GBT for supporting today's episode and for serving the sickle cell community. All right, Dr. Z. Now for my favorite part of uh Every Cheat Codes episode, where I get to hear what's going on. What's happening? Yeah, man. I've got a I've got
1: a I've got a heavy heart with this one.
2: I um, you know, over
1: over the last month, you know, in April, there was a big tragedy that happened in the sickle cell world and uh Many people might not recognize the name, but they need to know the name. The name is Evan Smith. And uh, Evan Smith is a cool guy. He was 21 years old. He was someone who lived in East London and had a job. He was a football stats analyst, you know, lived with his family. He, um, stand up dude. He, um, was a warrior And, um, unfortunately, I'm talking about him in past tense right now. Evan Smith's story broke my heart, Dr. C. Evan had a procedure done a week before his admission that was focusing on his gallbladder and fixing something in his gallbladder. Returned to the hospital with some pain, some fever. He was having what he felt to be a sickle cell crisis. So he got put in something called a lodger bed, which is an extra bed that's attached to a ward that uh, allows them to increase their capacity at the NHS. While he's there, he recognizes that things aren't quite right. So he rings nurses. He lets them know that I think I need oxygen. Maybe I'm not feeling good. His request for oxygen gets denied. He rings them again to no avail. Finally, as he's recognizing internally that things are spiraling downwards, while inside of a hospital in East London, in a hospital bed, as a black patient with sickle cell disease, he calls 999 from his hospital bed, the equivalent of what we have as 911 here in America, because he feels like something bad's gonna happen to him and nobody's paying attention. Of course, this happens, but by the time everything plays out, it's too late. He finally sees his hematologist, oxygen's prescribed, but the sickle crisis has already spun out of control. He's getting a blood transfusion, but it's again, too late. A Few hours after that, he passes away. This case has come to light in, in the UK and the NHS as, um, as a point of inflection, hopefully. This is the truth of sickle cell disease care in in the world. Whether it's a lack of awareness, whether it's a lack of understanding, I can tell you for a fact that the amount of teaching that goes into sickle cell disease in nursing school, medical school, pharmacy school, you name it, is not enough for a disease that has a new patient born every two minutes worldwide. People don't get sickle cell disease. And it's apparent when you have a 21 year old man telling you that things aren't okay with me, but being dismissed, right? In that moment, I can tell you for a fact now that in that one hospital building at the NHS, Evan Smith was the only sickle cell disease expert in the building. Who understood what was happening, who had no formal training, but could tell you as the expert of his own body that something bad's gonna happen to me. I don't think we respect that enough in sickle cell disease warriors. I don't think we respect their understanding of their own body enough as physicians. And I wanted to bring this conversation to Cheat Codes so that we could reflect on it a little
2: bit and I wanna hear what you think, Doctor C. Yeah, this is a terrible story, Dr. Z. It got a lot of attention. I, I, you know, I'm not as uh, wired into the social medias as you, but uh, the story came across my desk, and uh, I looked into it a little bit, and um, it sounded like a story I hear all the time, unfortunately. Evan Smith was in in this kind of emergency observation stay kind of place, and he's telling his nurse, I need oxygen. I, I feel terrible. Something's not right. And he's he's being disregarded. He's being told, No, no, you don't need oxygen. You're you're fine. Your your oxygen saturation was okay. You're you know. He's not being treated by a sickle cell expert because of the they don't have enough resources, they don't have enough sickle cell experts, they don't have a good plan of care that would get a sickle cell doctor involved. And his sickle cell doctor said that she said NHS is not doing a good enough job for sickle cell patients. Sickle cell patients should have an expert sickle cell uh, care provider if they're in the hospital. That person should be notified right away. This was, you know, all done poorly and and too late. And you know, hopefully something good will come out of that. I think NHS um, is a, a very organized system, and and they're going to look at this and see. You know what changes can we make to our system but i i think it's it's more fundamental than that i i think it's something that we all need to internalize and think about what can we do on an individual level to make sure things like this don't happen and i think the answer is pretty simple listen to your patients i've seen you know in in my career i've seen many many times when you hear a story oh This person's faking. Oh, they complained about this, but it's not really this. Those usually don't have uh, happy endings where the person who's saying that was right. They usually have, uh, you know, terrible, sometimes we get away with it, but usually there's terrible consequences. There's, you know, misdiagnoses, there's delays in care, there's, um, you know, unnecessary procedures, there's, you know, bad outcomes because people aren't listening to their patients. Now, I'm, I'm not gonna tell you that there's no room for expertise or that um, medical staff don't know what they're talking about, they do, but you have to listen to your patients and if they're telling you something's not right, something's different, you can't just say, nope, you're wrong, you have to say, okay, well, we need to get to the bottom of that, What what's going on, we need to figure out what's happening here and don't stop until you find the answer. And sometimes these things even get better you know i felt terrible i don't know what it is we don't come to the answer but that's not the end of the story we need to keep thinking about it keep trying to come to an answer and i i think you know unfortunately this is a, a problem for everybody but it's especially a problem for our warriors who often get written off who often get whatever their problem is attributed to sickle cell and here was a guy in a high-risk situation, recent surgery, um, you know, having chest pain. Well, they say hindsight's 2020. 20. Everybody knows after something bad happens what, what should have been done in this case. But I think we really need to think about how can you prevent these things going forward. And certainly having sickle cell experts involved in the care of sickle cell patients is important. But also listening to our patients is important. And having... You know, some better method than calling nine one one for when a patient feels like they're they're really not being heard and and not um, not getting the care they need. So for sure, I, I, for sure. And
1: and and you know I you know I've got I've got a I want to emphasize I'm a sickle cell physician. I spend most of my day in search of answers. I spend most of my day in search of answers on how to do better for my patients. On most days. I don't have all the answers. My journey of being a sickle cell physician is in in its infancy. But but that being said, even as you progress as a sickle cell physician, there's always going to be questions that you don't know the answer to, right? There's it's it, the patient and the physician are on this journey together, right? The patient is providing you the material that needs to be studied. And 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 they're and they're your only they're your guide to that assignment, right? But it's still on the physician to search for answers, right? So y- yes, we can be
2: sickle cell experts, but that that's not. And, and in so many ways, this is how we grow. I mean, yeah, it, uh, it's no, been it's many not times. like,
1: yeah, I, I think that as physicians, we need to humble ourselves just a little bit and say, we're doing the best we can, right? With what we know, but, but we don't know everything. And there's a lot in sickle cell disease that we don't understand that we're mystified by, that confuses us, and we need patients to learn about it.
2: And, you know, as as doctors, we, we go to medical school and we learn from our lecturers and we learn from our textbooks, but there's, there's no better source of medical knowledge than our patients. Exactly. I, you know, so many times I've had a patient tell me something and I say, you know, I think it's this, and they say, you know, I had that before and this is not that. And you dig deeper, you find the answer. It's so satisfying to find the answer, especially if you can solve it. But then the next time that comes up, the next time a patient comes to you and says, you know what, I've got this. Now, you know, that thing, now you've learned, you've grown, you can say, you know what I learned from so-and-so that when that is the complaint, I need to look for this. And, uh, so you grow, you learn but you you do it by listening to your patients.
1: I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. All right, so for anyone listening out there that could make a difference, listen to your patients. Stop, swallow your pride, listen to your goddamn patient, and try to do the best you can after really internalizing what they're trying to tell you, okay? Sit down in the room, take your time with warriors. That's the PSA. We're on a, st- a little bit of a streak of talking about non-biological terms, um, but but often uh, non-biological events, non-biological circumstances contribute to biological outcomes. So the word today is something that's very closely tied to biologic outcomes, health outcomes, medical access. It's very closely tied to life expectancy. It's very closely tied to basically all things that allow for individuals to flourish. So, of course, something that's as expansive in its reach is going to have really important implications on sickle cell disease patients. And and we've talked about the fact that there's a child with sickle cell disease born in this country once every hour. Worldwide, it's once every two minutes. The vast majority of sickle cell patients worldwide are born into conditions that are conditions that you would expect in developing countries. You know, the children in Sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, they're often subject to lack of infrastructure, lack of care, things like this. But in the United States, we we also see the effect of some of this. So the word of the day relates to sort of a term that we can use to consolidate all of those thoughts, right? And, and, And this is a term that comes up quite often when we're talking about health outcomes. The word of the day is
2: socioeconomic status. Okay, all right. This is important. So I think it encompasses a lot of things and it's something we try to capture in a lot of research studies because it's a very important variable. It has a big impact on us. It has to do really with our resources. What resources do we have available to us? And so there's a lot of things that play into that. It's kind of a, a combined measure of, of what resources do you have available to you? And, and that includes things like, you know, what, what skills do you have? What, what, uh, work experience do you have? What education do you have? Those are impact your socioeconomic status. If you have, right. you know, ad, advanced degrees and professional degrees and you have, you know, a uh, a big body of work you have a lot of resources available to you that somebody who who doesn't wouldn't you know right. you you may have more job opportunities so you can make right. more money That there's also you know how much money do you have what's your what's your and not just you your family like how much can you draw on so if you're a you know a, a 7 year old you, you don't have any money but if you're bill gates 7 year old you got a lot more money than if you're dr Callahan's 7 year old and and uh, if you're Dr. Callahan's seven-year-old, you, you probably have uh, more resources available than if you're uh, born in a family in, in sub-Saharan Africa. So, you know, what what is your household resources? What's your parents' level of income? What, is, what are their jobs? How much money does your family have? What are their, you know, what are their incomes? I think all of that goes into to socioeconomic status. I think, you know, this isn't part of that word, but... And maybe this is something we should talk about on a different day. But I, I think there's other important things that aren't captured in that. And sometimes we talk about those as like social capital. Like, uh, do you have friends that you can rely on? Do you have brothers and sisters? Do you have connections you've made over your life? The, and the, those things maybe don't have a monetary value, but they're a resource you could you could rely on. And, and that might be, you know, you lose your job you got a friend who works at a company who can give you a new job. There's there's not a money value of that, but when you lose your job, it's very valuable. So I I think if you put those things together, your socioeconomic status and, and your social capital, it really has a huge impact on how you can respond to challenges, right? So if you don't have the resources to have reliable transportation, if you don't have stable housing, if you don't have, you know, money to pay for medicines, then your, your disease outcomes are, are going to be hampered by that. And uh, you know, I think these are, are such important things to think about, you know, in the context of, of taking care of patients, because we want to get good outcomes, um, and, and in order to do that, we really have to be cognizant, we really have to think about where a person's coming from, what are their resources what help do they need to, to be able to achieve, um, what we're hoping for out of, out of a treatment, out of a, you know, a, a plan and really how can we help them build those resources so that uh, they, they can, uh, access more cares that they can, uh, lead the life that they want to lead. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a, a lot of questions wrapped up in socioeconomic status and how, how we should approach it. And, and it becomes like a, a societal issue and how we should set up society and what is, what is fairness and how should we organize ourselves? But, on, you know, even on a individual level, I, I think it's an important consideration, you know, how, how you're going to address a problem what resources are available to do it at home and then you know what what resources can we as as healthcare can we as a society try to try to enhance that socioeconomic status so we can get better outcomes for everybody because you know at, at the end of the day we should be judged on how the poorest among us uh, the people with the least exactly. resources we should be judged yes, on how well they can, do, can can for sure, that's the that's that's
1: the that's the crux of it right there, man. Uh, every society should be judged by how the lowest ranking members of society are doing, and and in our in our society, truly, um, yes, race is of course racism. I should say, race is not a thing. Racism is a factor, but more than that, socioeconomic status and social capital and financial
2: capital make a huge difference, right? It's not unrelated. I mean, we know uh, certain uh, communities have on average, lower socioeconomic status. They have less resources available. And we need to take that into consideration and and try to raise all the boats, get everybody up to a very high level. Right,
1: yeah, exactly. We need to get to, see again though, I love your breakdown of the word socioeconomic status. And we just gotta remember that we're not looking for equality. Nobody wants equality. We want equity, right? We want health equity. Health equity means that not everybody's starting from the same starting point. So the people who are further behind in the race need a bigger push. And that's how we're going to get to better outcomes. All right. With that, Dr. C, I want to thank you for your time, for the word of the day. Appreciate you breaking that down for us, man. All right, Warriors, that wraps up another episode of Cheat
2: Codes, a sickle cell podcast. Man, they're doing some things in Indiana, aren't they? They are. I mean, you had on uh, Gary Gibson last uh, few episodes ago, and he's doing great things down there. And now uh, IHTC, that's amazing. Statewide presence. I love this jobs program. I mean, I hadn't put a lot of Super thought into cool. it, but there's so much so much there. I'm jealous. I think uh, we need to figure out how to do something like that up here, Dr. Z.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, man. I agree with you. It's it's nice that the bar's moving somewhere, um, and, 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 and I think they're creating a blueprint that we can follow. So I love that and appreciate that. Warriors, push your healthcare system. Push your providers. Push your CBOs. This is what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to this whole patient sort of this 360 degree approach to sickle cell disease to get to better outcomes. And that's what you guys deserve. With that, Dr. C, our warriors are, are doing a good job staying safe from COVID-19. I see lots of masks in clinic. I see lots of good hand washing.
2: People getting people bought vaccines, into the vaccine.
1: Yeah. yeah, which is beautiful. And um you know I want I want warriors to keep living well with sickle cell. And if you need to learn more about sickle cell disease, follow me at Dr. Z Sickle Cell.
2: And me at Imagineer. And uh, special thanks to our, our founding sponsor, Global Blood Therapeutics, for sponsoring these episodes.
1: Thank you, GBT. With that, we'll let you guys go. We'll see you next time. Peace.